Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL executive of the year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here from the Athletic, along with Randy Mueller, the GM. Randy, how are you coming out of Super Wildcard Weekend? It was outstanding. I loved the weekend. Uh, I loved the NFL experiment with six games back-to-back. Even liked the little Nickelodeon flavor, you know, even for us old guys, it was kind of cute. It was great. So my youngest son's 16. He, you know, SpongeBob was on enough that I picked up a little bit, but he oh, was yeah. just cracking up, you know, and he's got, he's like me, he's got a dorky sense of humor, but he was cracking up through the whole thing. And that made me enjoy it too. You know, sorry, Tony Romo, I didn't miss you that much. This was kind yeah. of fun. So I was disappointed. We didn't get to see Summer Sanders or any of the old time Nickelodeons, <laughs> you know, I mean, that would have been a great time to introduce her into getting slime next to uh, the Saints coach, that was crazy. <laughs> it was really good. Of course, the the MVP, Mitch Trubisky, I think we might oh, talk yeah, about him a little right. bit today. But <laughs> let's start out with uh, today, we're going to start out with the Eagles. Obviously, Doug Peterson getting fired. We want to talk about Deshaun Watson as well. Some old guard quarterbacks who may be nearing the end. Uh, we're going to have Randy's sort of GM thoughts exit interview a little bit with some of these teams that lost in the playoffs. Seattle, Tennessee, Chicago among them. We'll have our picks this week. Ask the GM question as usual at the end so let's get going here Randy and the Philadelphia Eagles one of our favorite subjects I mean what an amazing season that you couldn't (laughs) have predicted would be this bad that they would completely go off the rails that their quarterback would be benched that they would bench their backup quarterback and be accused of tanking in week 17 and then fire Doug Peterson I mean this wasn't the script yeah, no. <laughs> it's incredible. You can't, like you say, we always say this, but you can't make this stuff up. I mean, their season, and we haven't even thrown in COVID and the fact that it was 2020 on top of it all. So oh. I bet you Eagles fans are just exhausted to the point where, you know, they, they can't take it any longer. They're pulling out their hair. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we saw some of this coming. Let me just say this. The yeah. Eagles are as buttoned up and as, mm, how do I want to say it? calculated with moves, with leaking information, with all the information that we've been, that has been out there. There's been a reason it's been out there, right? So if you followed this throughout the whole season, that nothing has caught the Eagles brass by surprise. And even this firing was kind of, it didn't catch you or I by surprise, I don't think, because we've kind of known that this is a possibility just the way they do business. But the whole thing was, I think, plotted and calculated to whether it's the GM or the owner. They're smart people. So they understand that somebody had to pay the price for the season they had. It's not, I don't think, all on Doug Peterson. But I think as we break it down, we're going to find out that it probably started with the one question that we had halfway through the season. I know we talked about it on the podcast was, Doug Peterson's number one job was, can he fix Carson Wentz? And I think our answer was no. That got an F. And that's where this all comes from, in my opinion. 
Yep. Yeah, I really think there were two questions here. One of them is, so if you're Howie Roseman and you're the GM steering this, I think it's totally defensible to fire to fire Doug Peterson right now. The way the season went, came unraveled the last game. The other question is, okay, what should the owner do? Should he have included Howie yes. in this as well, yeah, right? So right. those are two different things. And I think we've, we have proof now and that, that Howie's made man there. And they, they won the Super Bowl. So, yep. you know, I'm not saying that he should absolutely be fired, but uh, it's interesting how these things go, who's left standing time and yeah. time again, and it shows you, you know, everything. And in this case, I think Doug's uh, – the effect Doug could have on this team was limited by the fact that it was a – D plus roster at best to start with. So if you start with that premise, there's plenty of blame. And we've said that it was not a good roster to start with. It got killed with injuries. They had tons of injuries, but at the end of the day, Doug had his issues with Wentz, couldn't fix him. Their game plans from week to week didn't change any, didn't, didn't seem like it helped Wentz at all. So there's a lot of disconnects here with this team. And then it culminated in that last game of the season where I mean, what a, you know, what show yeah. that was. I mean, it was crazy. We just watched reality TV unfold and who knows who was the, was the brains behind that operation that, that day and how that played out. But it was all crazy. You knew something was going to happen. Doug Peterson did better there than I expected. That wasn't a hire that I was saying they're going to win the Super Bowl in three years, you know? Um, no. And so uh, I don't know what they look for. You know, they're probably not going to look for somebody who's going to come in and tell them how to do it, right? I mean, it's going to be probably another Doug Peterson, right? Somebody right. who comes in, an offensive coach to work with Carson Wentz. This saves Wentz. Is that, do you think that's true? Oh, no doubt. Wentz? No doubt about yeah. it. I mean, I, and I think Wentz was saved anyway. The contract has saved yeah. him throughout the whole process. But I think once, and, and we knew this, once they got to talking about staff and plans going forward and vision, that, that information had been taken out. You know, people knew about the issues that Doug had last year with his staff in that he claimed he was not going to make any changes. The next day they fired two or three coaches and that was going to play out again. And, and obviously the owner didn't like the, the answers that Doug had this time around. So I think the offense was, was to blame for the most part. Um, you saw Jim Schwartz just throw up his hands and retire out of the whole thing. The defensive coordinator <laughs> just tired of the whole operation, I think. So I can understand why he wanted to take a step back for sure. Yep. I'm with you. So Wentz probably stays. Let's talk about another quarterback here who's actually was the biggest story of wildcard weekend and he didn't play. He's on a four and 12 team, yeah. but Deshaun, Sean Watson, unhappy with what's going on in Houston. I think we can all understand why he would be, especially you know, whether the owner should or should not say he's going to include the quarterback in decisions. If you do it, then you can't put that back in the bag. So normally I would, I think, you know, one of the first things I learned in covering the NFL 20 some years ago was usually when there's money involved, the players show up. And even if, you know, you don't really worry about a player forcing a trade that much. Uh, This is a little different though, to me, because I feel like Deshaun Watson isn't, it's not just about one thing you have, what's been going on. And then if, if he feels truly misled, if he feels like I can't play for this owner, he just got thirty billion bucks last year. Is there any chance in your mind that he could push this, and how far? Yeah, I think it's a great point, and I think you're right. In normal circumstances, you would say players play, coaches coach, yep. owners own. You know, and and he and you say Deshaun, stay out of this. You're not empowered to do any of this. But in this case, if what we read is true, the owner promised him a seat at the table, and then didn't set a chair there for him when it came time to eat dinner. 
he had no say in anything that was going on. And I guess my feeling was it, it, it really started with if, if the owner did say that, why not just listen to him? Why not bring him and J.J. Watt in and try to build some consensus? They have a toxic environment there based on what you hear from the Bill O'Brien days anyway. So they're trying to overcome a lot of cultural issues and mistrust. Wouldn't this have been a great time for Cal McNair as a leader of the franchise to just say, hey, I'm going to build a little consensus myself. I do want to talk to you. You've, you've built up some capital here. You, J.J. Watt, come see me Wednesday. We'll sit down and just hash it out. Just a matter of professional courtesy, right? In this case, that made sense to me. That didn't happen. So the distrust is still there. I don't know how you fix it. I, I do think in this case, Deshaun does hold a little bit of power here yeah. in that he might be able to force some things. And again, I think the kid just wants to win. That's the bottom line. So I'm hoping he doesn't get beat up for putting his nose out there uh, where it shouldn't be. A lot of fans think that players only should play. But in this case, he wants to win. That's all he wants to do. And so I think being heard a little bit by the owner, by the new GM, by anybody is going to help the trust factor with upstairs, downstairs in that building uh, in Houston. Yep. And they don't necessarily, when you look at the people that are there, so Cal McNair uh, has very limited experience of owning the team, right? His dad yeah. did it for a long time. So he he's not seasoned in handling it's clear he's not a leader right you you said we've heard we've heard enough from him to know that he's not the most comfortable in that spot yeah absolutely i totally agree and just watching the video of him he seems like a nice guy that yeah you you know you you have lunch with him or whatever but he doesn't seem like a dynamic leader who um has been in the you know really tough world of of making decisions (laughs) cutthroat decisions in in the nfl Uh, then they you know, have a high seat at the table for Jack Easterby, who came in yeah. and is also not a franchise builder. I mean, he's a chaplain who had, who you know had helped with the culture in New England through some difficult times. Was well liked there, but he's not a franchise decision maker or a football leader. He doesn't necessarily have training and expertise. I don't think we don't think he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be yeah. unlikely that he would. Right, um, right. and and so. Then you bring in Nick Casario, who seems, you know, very qualified in the world of personnel and and has obviously won a lot. But he's also coming from a, a unique organization where, at least my understanding of it, you know, Bill Belichick isn't always including everybody in it. The no, I think that's building. the rub. Yeah, that's the yeah. culture rub, where he came yeah, from. Right. right. Yeah. So Nick is not coming from a place that is a consensus building place. It's it's a right. Bill place. Yes. I mean, shoot, Tom Brady didn't have a seat at the table, let alone Deshaun no. Watson, who hasn't d- done anything right. compared to Tom. So are these the right people to smooth this thing over with watching? Look what happened in Jacksonville. The Jalen Ramsey was there. All these other guys were there. They couldn't smooth it over with Coughlin and those guys. Can these guys, these guys could lose to Sean Watson. They could lose downstairs, which in a sense is Deshaun Watson, because what they, I think are going to figure out at the end of the day is that if they can gather Deshaun Watson's thoughts and keep him in the fold, it's going to go a long ways toward building their credibility throughout the building. And that's what they got to do in my mind. I can't overemphasize that it's a bigger issue than just Deshaun, but he's the messenger. He's the ticket to, I think, fixing the culture there that's been bad. You heard J.J. Watt's speech. We, We talked about it. That to me came from the heart in that we have issues here. We have issues of culture. We have issues in competitive spirit. We have issues in professionalism. All that stuff has to be solved. And so- the, the job that Nick Cesario is taking over, and he may be the greatest GM in the history of GMs, but he's starting with a big black cloud over him, a big storm cloud that 
you know, it's going to be hard to rebuild that trust. And I think that's all Deshaun wants is trust. It, it's to, to build this together. Maybe that's not the Patriot way. And I understand that, but that's what made it so peculiar to the hire. And we haven't even got to the fact that the hire came from outside the, the uh, search firms list and that whole set of dynamics as well. You could make a case for why'd we hire a search firm and then not listen to him, but you could also make a case for why did the search firm not have this guy on the list? Everybody's been trying to hire him for 10 years. So well, there's there's some issues there. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever heard people complain that the search firm wasn't consulted. Normally yeah, they're like, what I know, are you doing right. having a search firm? Yeah. But, but, but that maybe- brought, that's the first thing I thought of, I'll be honest with you, Mike, is how can Nick Casario not be on the search firm's list? Well, maybe it was such a slam dunk they were going to get him that I don't know. That that doesn't yeah. even feel like they're on the same page. No, um, just a complete disconnect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, Casario comes in and from what you hear from people that have dealt with them in New England, it's all good stuff. I mean, what are yeah, players? Yeah, no problem or, with him. You know, yeah. they love dealing with him. He's supposedly a great guy, but probably doesn't have a ton of reps of being in a crisis and have being the guy who has to yeah. solve it, right? I mean, right. That's He's all. not a fixer that we know of, you know. Well, but again, it goes with what comes with these jobs. These jobs aren't sitting in an office and pick players. There's a lot more right. to it as he's finding out on the run. Absolutely. So now, to me, the pressure goes to the coach and this hire, yeah. right? So yeah. we know Deshaun Watson has said, hey, could you check out Eric Bieniemy?" Yeah. <laughs> well, Eric Bieniemy. now if, if Eric Bieniemy doesn't get hired in this cycle – he's automatically the greatest coach of all time, right? Because, and it may not happen. Right, he may not be, but yeah. but you're going to be held, that's going to be held against you in that yes. locker room if Deshaun yes. Watson wanted you to at least look at him and you hired Joe Smith. I'm just making up whoever the other guy is. Uh, right. Now that guy has tremendous pressure on him to fix all this. And when you think about it, if you, if you wanted Casario the whole time, Casario, isn't he going to bring in someone who already knows the way they do business in New England. He doesn't want to have to yes. train some guy on how we right. scout and how we right. do our building because they already got Easterby who knows it. They got Casario who knows it. So are you now limited to whatever? Dayball has been in there or somebody like that who may or may not be the guy that Deshaun Watson wants. Then that guy could be in a tough spot. Yeah, no, it's a bad deal all the way around. The connections and the disconnects are, are going to play out for the next several months there. That's for sure. But you're right. You would think where they're at now, they almost have backed themselves into a corner in that they have to hire a coach who has a little bit of some healing qualities because there's been a little scorched earth, you know, and now we got to have someone heal. Thus, we hear the name uh, Caldwell, Jim Caldwell's name brought up. Well, you know what? That's probably his biggest thing is that he can heal and he's been there and done that and can bring people together and a little bit of a fixer. It may not be the most sexy name out there, but that's why it doesn't surprise me that we hear he's now strong favorite to, of the Texans because yeah. of all this stuff and because they've kind of backed themselves into a corner. Yep. And I really like him. I love the hire in Detroit. Yeah. He was good for them. He Now, no the question with him is he had he had to step away in Miami. He is a grinder. I mean, he is a 25-hour-in-the-office yeah. guy, and he's a little bit older. Yeah. Um, nothing against that, but if he had some no. issues there, this is a you know high stress job. I hope he can do that, but I would love him with Deshaun Watson. And I mean, heck, Deshaun Watson's already doing well, but he's a calming influence. Yeah, you know? that's what I mean. You he's know? a healer. It it yeah. it might make some sense. I don't know. Yeah. It's a crazy yeah. scenario, any way you look at it. And, and we've seen coaches turn down interviews. Now, the defensive coordinator Matt Eberfuss from the Colts yeah. turned down a chance to go interview because he thought it was not. He thought it was too toxic. He said this can't be fixed. 
So it's crazy yeah. that I, I and I'll caution this. We're, you and I are sitting here talking about it, but we talk to a lot of people. So this is just not our opinions yeah. either. I, yeah. We we have a little bit of a consensus ourselves before we get to this far. So there's, this is kind of the, the ebb and flow around the league that comes with this job right now. Yeah. Now, one thing interesting that I've got in my notes here for today, because Randy and I talked for a few minutes before, uh, you made a, you made a comparison that I wouldn't have thought of uh, out of this out of this situation with Sean Watson, where in theory he could he could press us if he withheld his his services from the team. Eventually, they would probably have to consider trading him. What's the corollary that you brought up with me <laughs> that I didn't, I didn't think of? I just stayed in the state, right, and, and went north about two hundred miles and thought. Here's Dak Prescott sitting there, and Dak Prescott just wants to win too, right? That's all he does. Yeah. Is he, you can clearly understand his MO. He wants to win. Now, yep. he has some leverage, and he has the hammer in Dallas. He doesn't have to sign an extension if he doesn't want to. Jerry can't will him to uh, force yep. him to sign anything. So it's got to be, if I'm Dak Prescott, and, and most that know him or have been around him would say, oh, no, he would never play that hand. He'd never play that hand. Well, I know Todd France. And he's going to play whatever hand benefits him, right? And rightly so. And this is a case where he has the hammer. Again, if winning is is Dak's number one goal, he may have the hammer to get some change in Dallas that affects their winning going forward and insist on certain things being certain ways. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's team building. I don't know if it's scouting. I don't know what it is, but he he is maybe the only other guy in the league at this point in his career and and timing of his contract that has this kind of clout as well it'll be interesting to see if he doesn't use some of that and maybe he won't because we all know he's a he dax a little bit of a healer himself right but yeah. it's a business and i know todd thinks it's a business too so we'll see how that plays out yeah and some of that'll come down to if he feels like he's being respected or not or treated right and i think yes. that of all the faults of Jerry Jones, I mean, heck, he's almost gone too far in taking care of these guys and standing by Romo and some of that. And I think there yeah. is a there is a he- much healthier respect there between at least between owner and Dak. There hasn't right. been lines crossed, whereas in Houston there are. But with that much money at stake, and you know, it doesn't take much to slip up if you said the wrong thing, or they said they're going to draft somebody, or Jerry got a little hot about something. You know, you you, you never know. So, hey, Dak saw the grease fire that was the Cowboys this year. He saw the yeah. defense. He saw everything. I mean, yeah. hey, uh, this is my one chance in my career. I can squeeze a little, you know, out of the turnip. I'm going to get everything I can to set us up going forward. Yep, yep. So in my column today, the pick six column about Deshaun Watson, I noticed some other feuds between teams and their quarterbacks. And if you go way, way back, uh, Dan Marino was really at the throat through his agent, Marvin Demoff, who I know you've had some, probably some scrums with, with the Dolphins at one point to where they were practically taking out ads in the newspaper, attacking each other. In the end, everything came out fine. It's been 15 (laughs) years together after that. And Dan Marino still works for the team, which leads us to some of our old guard quarterbacks who, you know, maybe had a few bumps on the road earlier in their careers. Drew Brees had to change teams. Um, you know, Philip Rivers went through that whole draft thing with <laughs> Eli Manning and all of that. And, yeah. and Ben Roethlisberger's from that class and had a really tough game last night. But I think these are three guys probably in Roethlisberger, Rivers, and Breeze. We've got Roethlisberger and Rivers. They're done for this year. Breeze, who knows? I mean, he may, may or may not be, but we don't think he's coming back. Do you think – who do you think of these guys' returns between Roethlisberger, Rivers, and Breeze next season? Can we just – set Breeze aside for sure that he's out? I think so. 
Yeah, I think so. I think I think everybody down there seems to have their hand on the, the pulse better than us, and everybody seems to think Drew's done. I would say between Roethlisberger and Philip, I think Philip has more mileage left. They, it's funny, they came out the same year, same draft, them and Eli Manning, and Eli's been gone, what, three years now? Two or three years, so yeah, time has probably Last come, year. but I think I saw more in Philip. And again, I don't think Philip's going to come back. That's just a gut that I have. But I saw a little more in him, a little more tread on the tire than I did with Ben. I saw Ben last night, and we all saw him after the game with the tears and sitting on the bench forever. I saw a guy that his mind was making appointments this year that his body just couldn't keep anymore. You know, you can break it down numbers-wise to where his average per throw was not far enough yardage-wise, and the time of which he got rid of the ball was quicker than ever. He just couldn't be effective the way he has in the past. And some of that is based on their lack of a running game and the physicality that's been the Steelers forever. But I just didn't see Ben with an ability to execute really normal game plan stuff as as I have in the past. And I think he knows it. I think that's why he was so emotional last night. I just feel like he kind of knows this might be it for him. The $41 million in cap next year, I mean, even if you set that aside, I don't think you've got to what we found out anyway is that you don't have a quarterback to get you to the Super Bowl. Not in the not in the roster construction that they have now. So a lot of questions there. I don't know how you feel between those two, Mike, but I think Philip, for my money, has has a little left. Again, I think he's going to be done too. But but I just didn't see it with Ben, and it wasn't just last night. It was for the last couple months, really. Yeah. I just see a guy that he's kind of at the end of the road, and I don't know how the path is for him to come back anyway with the $41 million cap, because that's not a renegotiation. That would be a giant reduction if you were to ask to come back, you know, there's a difference. Well, in some of that 41 though, I mean, I think there's a $15 million bonus coming on the third day of the league year. There's a $4 million base salary and there's a bunch of prorations. So if there's any, they can lower the cap if they're willing to extend it out a couple of years. And that to me, if I'm doing that, like when I look at them, they lost Mike Munchak. They don't have a run game. They're not blocking yep. well up front. If yep. you look, he can't run this offense, but look what they did with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers used to be hurt some, taking shots, running for his life. He's handing off. He's got a cold beer back in the pocket. He's got guys running wide open. It's easy. Now, you can't put Ben Roethlisberger in a boot you know, or a Gary Kubiak offense, but if you got him a running game and took 150 passes off of his plate, and he really bought into it, and you had a good defense, I mean, I think they're right back in the mix winning 11, 12 games. If you're doing this thing where he's throwing in 1.5 seconds 650 times a year, and the guys just put their hands up and tip 10 of them, that's not an offense, and and that's not sustainable. So I could sell Roethlisberger another year if you did those things. I don't think I convinced you, but I got maybe maybe you think a little. Well, there's a lot of ifs there. I don't disagree, yeah. but there's a lot of ifs. What do they say? If, if my grandma had, you know what, to be yeah. my grandpa. So there's a lot of ifs yeah. in there. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now with Rivers, so I agree that he would probably could be playing. So do you kind of think that Indy's ready to move on? Are you just reading between the lines on that, or or you're not? Again, sure? I have no source. I have no inside info. I in hearing his comments, he said. It's more complicated than people think. In other words, where am I at with my family? You know, he's already taken a high school coaching job whenever he stops playing at, back at, at, at home where he lives. So that's to be determined, uh, you know, when he does that. So I think I felt like he has made some commitments away from football that he would have to 
kind of use whiteout on and then to come back for another year. Yeah. And I just didn't see the, all those lining up for him. But again, that's just me. I, yeah. I don't really yeah. know. You know, one other thing about this year that I think, you know, it was a grind with the COVID thing. It wasn't yes. guys having beer beers over at Pouncey's mm-hmm. house, you know, uh, or Quentin Nelson's house this week. It wasn't yep. hanging out in the hotel and going out to dinner. There, the rewards off the field, the camaraderie, the thing that the things that the guys love the most and miss the most when they retire. Yeah, that's a big part of what kept Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers and these guys coming back. It's why they tear up. You know, I mean, yep. they're going to miss this. It's special to them. It wasn't yeah. special this year. It was a freaking grind, and I wonder if yeah. that makes it easier. For some of these guys to say, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen next year, but we don't have a cure for COVID yet. I mean, we may have protocols next year. We may have a new variation of the virus or whatever. I'm out. I've made 200 million bucks. Um, I love the fact that Rivers has high school coaching lined up while Breeze has the network. It's perfect. Isn't that just those two guys? (laughs) Yeah. The pay is a little different there, I might add. Yeah. (laughs) But I love Rivers. I mean, he's got his own thing with his his kids and stuff. And uh, he's going to be happy and the hard part, I think, for Rivers is he can still spin it a little bit. And, you know, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good. And that's a more, well, maybe not more than the New Orleans, but that's a pretty good team with the Colts, with young, you know, young talent. It might be hard to watch them go 11 and 5 with someone else next year. I think that would be the only thing. But maybe that's the thing. Yeah. 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 And, and we're going to talk about some of that. But that's the thing with the, with these two teams. Where do they go if these guys don't come back? I don't think the Steelers have the answer on their roster, and I don't think the Colts have the answer on their roster. So no. that's two franchises that are both going to be in limbo should these guys not come back. So a lot of change. Uh, you know, who knows if there's enough quarterbacks at the end of the day when the music stops to go around to all these teams that may or may not have them. I'm, I think it puts New Orleans in a great spot in that at least they have Winston there, right, for now. Hopefully, Absolutely. you know, in their mind, they keep him another year. But yeah. Oh, yeah. But didn't we already see something talking him up? So. I want to get to our next segment, but while we're taping here, the Cowboys have hired Dan Quinn as their D coordinator. Um, Adam Schefter reported that. So you real happy about that, Randy? Or what do you think about the fit? Or is it going to change? They can't be much worse, although they improved some. But Yes. I mean, I love Dan Quinn. He, he was my neighbor in Florida. I mean, he was with us yeah. uh, under Nick's staff in, with the Dolphins. Here's the thing, and, and, and this it's just so cowboyish to me. They're going to hire, you know, uh, a name guy, a guy that's been, you know, out there. It's going to be impressive in the in the press conference. But you got to look at it's a results based business, right? The Falcons. He lost his job with the Falcons. Why? Because their defense sucked. Their defense was bad. He couldn't fix their defense. So somehow that's been brushed under the rug now, and he's charged with fixing another defense. You know, maybe there's slightly better personnel. I don't know. They spent some money in Atlanta too, trying to fix that defense. So I don't know. We're going to see. I think you'll see the, the, uh, Pete Carroll style defense. Uh, now they had that a little bit with Chris Richard when he was there a year ago. So yeah. it's kind of going back to the, to the future, so to speak. I don't know. I think the jury's going to be out for me on that hire. I understand why they did it. I, I just, I don't know if that's going to be the answer yeah. for them going forward though. Yeah. I mean, I've had lots of talks with coaches about that scheme and okay, you know, the knock is you just have to have a great front four to run it. But then I say, well, name me a defense that doesn't have good personnel and is good, you know? So there's, yeah, yeah, there's some of that, but it's simpler. I mean, at least, you know, you have some. And they can use simpler, no doubt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and I'm sure that's what Dan used to get the job. He sold them on the fact that yeah. we're going to play fast. They're not going to have to think a lot, which is something that they really struggled with in Dallas this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's, you know, been a good defensive line coach, you know, in the past when he was just focusing on the defense. I think one thing I would 
you know, I, I think it's a fair criticism in Atlanta that they never got it going defensively. I think they had some personnel moves that were questionable. I don't know how much, what percent was him, what percent was Dimitrov, uh, all of those things. But it's a different deal when you're the head coach. And I think he made some efforts to coach the whole team. And so this may be a truer test of him as a defensive coordinator. If he, if he can't move the needle when that's his only job, and he's not having to do right. worry about the sprinklers on field three and all yeah. the things that you have to do um, as a head coach, then that's damning, you know? So I'll yeah. be watching this one closely to see yeah. uh, how much they get better. I think his personality is better suited for a DC anyway. I think yeah. he's more of a trenches type guy yeah. and less of a CEO type. So maybe like you say, the fit is a little better in this role. Yep, absolutely. Yep. No doubt about it. So we'll continue on now with breaking news. I mean, we'll, we'll yeah, I'm glad more. you got that in there. I was waiting for a beep, 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 breaking well, news, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, our amazing producer, Kent Garrison, with the little, uh, <laughs> little message there came across the screen yeah. with the nice tweet from Schefter. We were going to talk, and we are now, about, uh, you know, just some kind of GM thoughts on some of these losing teams, right? Our little exit interviews with some of them. And, you know, you and I both live in the Seattle area. We watched this team this year you know, set franchise record for points. But by the end of the year, man, offensively, they could not do it. I was kind of thinking myself, like, there's always some off-season narrative in Seattle, right? Oh, we got to let Russ cook. I thought for a while this year they were going to, you know, we have to get a new defensive coordinator. But that sort of came around. Uh, You know, in the end, Russell Wilson did not look like the superstar quarterback anymore. So they got to get that fixed. I think the question is going to be, how do they do that? Is this, do they need, you know, a new offensive coordinator? Do they need... Uh, huge reinforcements on their offensive line. Do they need Russell Wilson to, to, you know, go to take two months off and get his mind right? I mean, to stop seeing the ghosts of the pass rush. What's the prescription in your mind for getting back to the first half of the year when football was fun for them offensively? Well, I think first off, you hear Pete's comments and he's his in in general, he just says we got to run the ball better, we got to find a way to run the ball and and I agree with that, but I think there's a lot of things that have to go into that being true and for that to happen. Uh, it it's definitely a team that I think they had and this is Metcalf's stat, until the other day which he hit the long ball for a touchdown, they had one 20-yard plus play the last month to Metcalf. So teams found ways to shut him down. And really, other than him, Lockett is a small guy. He gets kind of pushed around a little bit. And those two guys had big numbers this year. It wasn't indicative of the way that offense was defended, in my opinion. They got their yards, but there was a lot of things missing. And and we've talked about it. I think in the future, that's a team that really needs a slot receiver. It really needs somebody that can get open quick. Metcalf's not a full... uh, passing tree route runner. He's a across the middle, deep, you know, a lot of straight line type routes. And and Lockett's really not that inside guy because he's so small. They need a Doug Baldwin. They need a, a Cole Beasley. They need somebody like that to be available. I also felt like they needed a tight end to step up when Russ got in trouble as well. You know, he's always had somebody he can bank on as his go-to guy and just flick it to. I didn't think that was there for them either this year. And the running game itself, uh, I thought lacked juice. That running game to me was a lot like the Steelers running game in that James Conner, uh, Chris Carson, they're they're good solid backs, but there's really no long-range speed there. There's no 
uh, fear factor that they are going to go 50 yards every time they touch the ball. So there's some elements that they are missing. And of course, it all starts up front, but that's that's a fairly good size rebuild, if you ask me, in, in Seattle. They've got a lot of issues. And we talked a little bit about it in our conversation earlier with 24 free agents and up against the cap. Not sure how all that's going to going to work out, but they've got a lot of things to kind of navigate through. Uh, John Snyder's had a history of figuring these things out. He got a lot of fix it, uh, fix it battles to, to handle this offseason, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Although I would say if you're, if our, some of our primary needs are a slot receiver and a tight end, I mean, you, you don't have to spend 20 million a year for either one of those. And I agree with you. Yeah. I, I, it's I a great feel point. like Greg Olson was, you know, done in Carolina. Yeah. I don't, it was a name signing. I was surprised they gave right. him what they did, but I was surprised Jimmy Graham got what he got, although at least he's, catching eight touchdowns a year. You know, one interesting thing on them, Pete sort of alluded to, you know, having trouble against the the two deep defenses, you know, and I think for years they were such a run team and had a reputation of it that they got a lot of single safety defensive looks mm-hmm. that really made it possible for Russell Wilson to make hay in the passing game, right? It's going to be right. easier when there's a guy down there worried about Marshawn Lynch. And I think this year by letting Russ Cook probably – changed people's perception of the team to to hey wait they have a superstar quarterback here we got to play some coverage on them and then they sort of maybe lost their their we're a tough running team card right that right. helped you do that so one of the things i did uh, i i have this actually i think for the first 16 weeks of the season I was able to get some numbers on what percent of their plays uh were explosive in the passing game more than 15 yards based on whether it was one or two safeties. And one of the mm-hmm. interesting things you look just week to week, like against single safety, it was real consistent. Uh, the first week, week one to week 10, they're at 17% explosive plays. And after that 16%, no drop off. Look what happened against coverage. This is an interesting. I mean, I don't know the real answer to this, but against two safeties, the first 10 weeks, 20% of their early down plays were explosives, and after that, 5%. So they stopped being able to make explosive plays, beginning in about that Arizona game against the 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 two deep or the two safety coverages. And that's mysterious to me. I mean, to me, I just want to look at the games and see what happened. Was somebody hurt? Did, did they just – was that when Pete was trying to say, avoid the turnovers? And so Russell drops back, doesn't see the deep ball because they're playing coverage. And now realizes, shoot, I better not go run around and take make a risky throw on the perimeter that he can make. And so he goes, ah, ah, you know, and here comes the rush. And pretty soon you're taking a sack and people are like, where's Russell Wilson? I think some combination of those things happened that they have to yeah. solve this offseason. I agree with that. I think some of it starts up front. And, and I noticed with him, a guy who is already watching the rush when his last step hits the back of the pocket. He wasn't uh-huh. trusting those guys up front. And so therefore he's, he's one of those guys that needs to get that ball off early to get it downfield. And, and he's great at throwing a long ball, but he can't wait forever. And, and he just wasn't comfortable in order to set his feet and throw those long balls. The other thing is when, when you have Jalen Ramsey, Patrick Peterson, huh. those guys in your division and they're lining up and locking up Metcalf twice, you know, Metcalf's numbers weren't great against those guys. So they've got to find some other options. Like we said, that, Jalen Ramsey has no problem following Metcalf everywhere. And you can see the numbers are different when when they 
can face, like you said, just basic zone defenses, but they have some good corners in their own division that they're going to have to figure out a way to match up with better. I just felt like Seattle's offense as well put no fear into anybody. There was really a bunch of plays being called and really no real philosophy I didn't feel like. Some of that falls on Brian Schottenheimer, the offensive coordinator. I just wasn't feeling their system that it stressed anybody out on defense at all. Yep. Yeah, and I, I've always wondered over the years, because, you know, Daryl Bevel's taken heat as well, how much of that is Pete, and they play a certain yeah. way, and does yeah. the coordinator feel restricted? But whatever, because it's kind of like Minnesota, right? Mike Zimmer's influencing all those guys, whether it's North Turner, North Turner left, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, he got tired and, of being influenced. Yeah. And <laughs> Pete's totally different personality. He's yeah. not Mike yeah. Zimmer at all. But they're defensive right. coaches. They want to play a certain way, and that's always sort of a riddle that's hard to figure out. Like, right. sometimes I withhold my criticisms of the Schottenheimers and Bevels of the world, because... We're not seeing them run the offense they would want to do, you know, and then, uh, you know, but I I agree. I'm with you. I think in this division, you're now playing against Sean McVay and Brandon Staley. Those are top five, top 10 guys in the league at their spots. Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan, top 10 guys, right? I mean, they're considered that. These are guys are getting looks for head coaching jobs or they're top callers on offense. Yep. You got four games. Every yeah. year, and five this year because you played them in the playoffs. So right. that's something that else needs to be evaluated, right? I mean, where are no they doubt. at in those lines? So they're going to keep being good. They got Russell Wilson, but they, they need to get to a championship game. It's been a while, and no Russell doubt. Wilson's career is going by. So uh, our podcast is going by, too. So let's hit the Titans next because I think that was a game with Baltimore that I sort of thought they might win, and then they came out. They looked pretty good. In the end, I just – that's a bad – taste in my mouth from a Titan standpoint. I, I don't want to overreact, but I just don't feel good from a Titan standpoint yeah. after that game. Randy, am I overreacting? No, I'm with you. And, and I've, since the game, uh, I always put myself in their GM shoes. What can I do better for next year? And I've been struggling to find out really what they need to do. Um, obviously, when Mike Vrabel elected to punt late in the game when they were yep. down, that changed the complexion of the game. It kind of changed the Verocity of their own team and, and their confidence level as well. I think it, it it definitely was the wrong call at the time. But I think that team lost or allowed Jack Conklin to go last year. They've had some some moves up front that haven't gone their way. And I bring up Conklin in particular because he goes to Cleveland and and kind of solidifies an offensive line there that's one of the better ones in the league. And I don't know that the Titans in the long haul, have been able to replace his competitiveness, that physicality that that he brings. He's nasty. And although they led the league in rushing or their running back did, I just didn't feel that the other day in their game. I didn't feel like they could lean on Baltimore. I thought Baltimore was the aggressors. And Baltimore, in a tough physical matchup, controlled the line of scrimmage. So I think that's probably more than anything where I would go back to the drawing board if I'm the Titans. It's to kind of gain back that control of the line of scrimmage, however we can do that. It hurt them. Not having Corey uh, Davis, 84, they're one of their top receivers, not healthy in the fourth quarter. They drop some balls that they normally wouldn't drop otherwise. You know, there's a fine line in these playoff games against winning and losing. And I think if I'm the Titans, I, I it's surely not a complete retool or rebuild. They just got to go back and tweak some things. I don't think they'll be far away from, from being back here at, at this point again next year. But here's my warning for them is they didn't they lost Dean Pease a year ago and didn't replace him and their defense was bad and the personnel moves for Vic Beasley, Jadavian Clowney did not work out. Now Arthur Smith might get a job. And he's been a nice revelation for them as a caller. Uh really has made it work with Tannehill and gotten the best out of Tannehill. 
Uh, you mentioned Conklin got away because they didn't use the fifth-year option on him. Remember, it was sort of like he'd been hurt, whatever. Well, they didn't use it on Corey Davis either. And I'm not saying they should have. I mean, do you want him at 17 or $18 million? I, I don't know that you do. But when you look at who's going to be available in free agency this year, it's a bunch of guys who might not be as good as Corey Davis. It's A.J. Green. Are you going to really go? You can't go all in for Allen Robinson if you're them because you got to pay A.J. Brown. So you're probably, are you going to be in the Sammy Watkins market? You're, you know, Are you going to try to resign Corey Davis? I think they're not going to get that back. I think they're not going to. I think the issues they had without him in this game are potentially going to be there next year. And maybe Arthur Smith's not calling it. And now you've got a back who just carried eighteen thousand times this year. He's not going to get better. He's he's going to in the next, he may have a year and a half left. So that look on Vrabel's face. I mean, you know these these opportunities are fleeting and precious. You know, and they could they were up ten nothing. Wasn't it ten nothing? Was it ten nothing in the game? One got yes. by him today, yeah. and you don't get it back. Those are hard choices, like you say. You, you're in a prime position to make something happen with one or two plays, and then when you get to the off season, when you weigh change, you say, "Well, I don't know if they can afford Corey Davis, but I could make a case that I'm not sure they can afford not to have him because whoever they whoever they pay, whoever they bring in there, it's going to be a step back initially for that person to." to uh, learn uh, as a learning curve. So you take a step back. So it, I think it's almost worth overpaying a little bit to keep Corey Davis, as long as his skill set does what you want to do offensively. So there's a bunch of decisions that these GMs have to make in the offseason, and, and that's why they get paid the big money. But it's it's not cut and dried, that's for sure. And one of the things that determines if you pay him or not, like you said, is the amount of players like him on the market. If there's nobody like him on the market, he's going to get paid. And so when you don't pick up the option, you have to have a little crystal ball in your mind there too to see, look out ahead to see what's our competition going to be for this guy if we don't pick up his option. Yep, absolutely. So our last team we wanted to talk about in this sort of vein that lost in the wild card round was the Chicago Bears. And you and I have been sort of smirking at each other, not talking about the Bears week after week because we didn't want to, we didn't really think there was anything to Trubisky having better stats for a few games. And I think, right, you know, we still, Feel that way. Um, he was the Nickelodeon MVP um, in the in in of the game uh, against uh, New Orleans, and in fairness to him, he threw a pretty nice deep ball that the guy dropped in the end zone that might have right. kept him closer in the game, given him a lift. But uh, is there any chance you would bring him back? And if so, what's the number? There is, and this is my opinion, Mike. There is no chance I would bring him back. Okay, um, I wouldn't pay him any number. I think there's faulty skills there that are just going to hold you back. Our our problem, my problem, the first half of the season was that Matt Nagy didn't do anything to, uh, to accentuate his skill set or to set him up to succeed. Then Matt Nagy got away from calling plays and, and Bill Lazor, the OC, called the plays the second half of the season. I think I actually understand why Nagy did what he did when he called plays the way he did in the first half of the year, because he wanted to win the game. He didn't want to fit skill sets that could only call plays that Mitch could run because it's like playing with one hand behind your back, right? So I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but he was trying to win games, so he was always trying to do more. When he walked away, Bill Lazor called games exactly the way the skill set of Mitch Trubisky uh, sets up the call. And guess what? It was like playing with one arm behind your back. He couldn't win enough games. They couldn't score at all. And I thought the other day was a prime example of just that. Mitch is limited. He cannot do certain things. 
But if you're going to con- constrict yourself to running rollouts and half roll reads and, and boots and all that stuff, you don't stress the defense enough to win the game. You might set Mitch up to make a few throws here or there, but you've done nothing to win the game. So the object last time I checked was we play to win the game. I just don't think Mitch has got that skill set enough to where you can play to win the game as long as he's there. I understand the the GM and the head coach may or may not be there, but I don't think Mitch can be there under any circumstance. And I don't know who makes that decision, but I think the flaws are fatal. They need to move on and pull the plug. Just my opinion. Yeah, no, I remember last season there was a game when he had really good stats and people thought he had played well. And I wrote a column saying this was a bad game. There's nothing impressive about this. And I sat down with the coach and we kind of watched it. And it was, you're right, there was no challenging dropbacks. It was all no. a bunch of kind of BS stuff. Stuff he is, can do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a bunch of stuff that, you know, when you look at the stat sheet and it shows him being 19 of 24 – it's not it's not an impressive stuff, you know, and maybe a and guy they lose seventeen away. to thirteen, seventeen to ten because their defense is okay. Yeah, yeah, and he has a very high percentage of games, you know, over his career where they don't score points. So I'm with you on that. We don't have to belabor that. Let's get into our picks for the divisional round. Man, I love being a number one seed uh, this week. You know, sitting back, uh, Green Bay, Kansas City, sitting back yep. while I mean the Rams and uh, Cleveland are are just. In bloodbath games where they're diving yeah. and clawing, yeah. and their quarterback's going to the hospital, and the other guy's playing with a thumb surgically repaired, and uh, Cleveland's got their coach in his basement. I mean, <laughs> I don't see any way. Let's start with the Rams at Green Bay. Green Bay by seven. Do we trust the Rams' defense enough to take those points? Because they just they were five point dogs against Seattle and won the game by ten. Yeah. No, I don't. I think there's a reason that these number one seeds all want to get rest and they're going to come fresh out of the gate for sure. I think in the Rams case, they kind of gave everything they had, right? And usually that's what happens in these wild card games. If a team does go win on the road, they end up, you know, meeting their fate the following week because that team that they play has, has sat around for two weeks and it doesn't take a genius to look at you know, these coaches' records after buys, and, and the reason they're successful is because they figure things out. So I'm with you. I, I'm all with Green Bay. Seven points kind of surprised me. I thought it'd even be more than that. Interesting. Well, it is a very good Rams defense. There is familiarity here with uh, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay. Uh, Brandon Staley, you know, has some uh, Fangio history, which obviously they're going to know uh, Green Bay really well, too. So I don't put anything past the Rams defense. I think they can cover Devontae Adams. I think. The problem is to get Green Bay out of their element, I think you got to score points. And I think you've got to, uh, you know, make them be one dimensional and get out of that play action attack. So I'm with you on that one. We'll do the other number one seed game in the AFC Cleveland at Kansas City. This time they're letting the Browns, they're going to have their head coach at the game. Uh, <laughs> Kansas City is a 10 point favorite. They've actually won a bunch of close games this year. They haven't been blowing everybody out. Cleveland has scored on people, Cleveland has scored on Baltimore, yeah. Cleveland has scored on Pittsburgh. Uh, but in Kansas City, they're playing a team, probably the first kind of pass-first elite pass offense maybe they've played all year. Can they keep it within 10? You bet on Cleveland last week. You didn't literally bet, but. <laughs> yeah, there were some things I, I had just had hunches about last week with Cleveland, but I'll say this. Cleveland, if they can continue to run the ball, they're going to have a chance to that, – that's their best defense going forward against Kansas City is if they can run the ball a little bit. I don't think they're going to have the success against the Chiefs. Um, I think the Chiefs are healthier on defense now. 
Um, I'm Kansas City all the way in this. I don't, I don't love the ten points because I think it might be a closer game than that. But, I, uh, I agree. I, I'm going to yeah, take. Cle- I'm going to take the points with Cleveland. Yeah, I'm going to take Kansas City because I think they'll win the game. But you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a five six point game. Uh, so I hear you, and I can understand right, but, why you would take the points. Yeah, I'm just going to take the. I mean, I, I think Kansas City will win, but I would I would take yeah. Cleveland because I think they're well coached, and I think they will. You know, employ some game control with their run game, you know, and, and at least yep. maybe be able to for a while. And Kansas City may pull away and win by 17 or 20. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all, but yep. that's a big spread. And Cleveland has exceeded my expectations in, in some of those ways. We'll see if they don't have anything left. But they may actually get a bump. I think the Rams left more on the field, put it that way. They may get a bump with their coach coming back. Baltimore is at Buffalo. Buffalo only a two-and-a-half favorite. Josh Allen has been outstanding this year. He almost blew the game against the Colts. First and 10, under four minutes to go, plus 34-yard line. Let's take a 17-yard sack, fumble the ball for six more yards, and then hope our tackle recovers it. Man, that made me nervous, but he's been pretty darn good. Did you have flashbacks of the Houston playoff game last year when you saw that? I did. I was like... (laughs) I love. I mean, you got to love Josh Allen's the most improved player in the league. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually think Buffalo's going to win the game, and I'd probably give the points um, in this one because I think yeah. their defense. I think they'll scheme up uh, Lamar Jackson, who, by the way, only had to score fourteen points to win last week. It wasn't like an amazing offensive performance by then. He'll he'll make a couple. He'll make some plays, but right. I'm with Buffalo. How about you? Yeah, I'm with Buffalo as well. I think they're. Uh, Again, hitting on all cylinders, despite a, a little bit of a flashback we both had watching Josh Allen. I, I mean, I love Baltimore. They are such a different team. Uh, when they can find ways for Lamar to be on the edge, he changes the complexion of games. You know, we've been saying for two years now that until he develops as a pocket passer, they're not going anywhere. I'm not sure you want to even develop him as a pocket passer. Can we just leave him alone? Yeah. <laughs> he was so fun to watch last week. I just want to leave him alone and let him run and let him do what he does and – he is what he is, right? And let's just leave it at that. But I'm with you. I'm going to pick the Bills. Uh, I do think it's going to be a fun, fascinating game to watch. I'm, I'm anxious to see it. I know. You know, it's it's really good for the league that these two players, you know, got playoff wins. And, you know, like yes. said, we're going to be saying goodbye to Ben Roethlisberger and Rivers. And it looks yes. like Josh Allen's going to be viable. And obviously Lamar Jackson's already been an MVP. And hopefully he can keep going, playing that style where, you know, you worry sometimes that you're going to get twisted under the pile or something. But he is, he is truly – electrifying and unbelievable and plays with such a an energy that um, you almost find yourself rooting for him in the next play uh, as you watch them um, in the game. Our last one's Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Bucks are favored by three. Wait, is Tampa, did I write that right? No, New Orleans would be favored by three, right? I got my notes I would here. think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's just switch that to New Orleans by three. Uh, I'm not even going to check that. I think I just typed it in wrong. They beat them twice this year. Right. Beat them really bad the last time. I I might take Tampa in the points. How about you? <laughs> well, everybody says that you can't beat a team three times, right? I've been a part of a couple of these rivalries where in the playoffs we didn't win the third game after having swept. It is hard. I totally agree. But I think in this case, I just think the Saints have their numbers. I think the matchups favor New Orleans. I think they know what works against Tampa. Um, I do think that Saints can pressure with four. That's the big thing uh, coming out of the – year to me in that 
Tom Brady, you've got to find ways to pressure him without giving away the kitchen sink in the back end. I just think they have these guys figured out. So I'm going to pick the Saints. Um, I think it's going to be a great game. Again, two quarterbacks that are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. There's no secret there. But I thought Tom Brady last week played his best game of the year by far. But I also thought their defense against the Redskins – was soft and didn't and, and boring and and kind of mailed it in. I was shocked that they didn't come after the Tyler Henneke kid. I thought they would put pressure on him and do everything they can to take him out of the game, and they just passively sat back, and that worried me a little bit. I just normally I'm a Todd Bowles fan. I like the way he sets up his defenses, but I didn't like that plan last week at all. They made uh, Tyler Henneke uh, look like uh, you know George Blanda uh, per, per se. I mean, he was awesome. But uh, I'm picking New Orleans in this game. Yeah, yeah, maybe you should play Taysom Hill and have, have him run around. Like, <laughs> I think it's a good thing Washington didn't win because that poor guy couldn't have played this week. He took a no, freaking beating. I mean, <laughs> it was crap. How about Tony Dungy had him in the Hall of Fame? What, listen to that game the other night? Oh, yeah. That's the thing that struck me is I'm thinking, Tony, are you watching the same game? No, no, no. So that's because Tony, <laughs> I mean, when Tony was he's in Tampa. Great. The kid did yeah. a great job. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. holy Mac, are you kidding to, me? Tony would have taken that play sometime from his years back in Tampa uh, on yeah. offense. I'm with you, though, on Brady, there was a couple throws there with guys in his face where he threw it up the sideline and just dropped it mm. in the bucket. It was really, yep. really good to see. I think they're getting better. That's my that's my take on why I would lean a little bit towards Tampa. You're probably right. You know, when people, whenever someone says it's hard to beat a team three times, I always say it's a lot easier when you already won the first two. And so, you know, they've got, they don't have to beat them three times. They already beat them twice. So they just got to yeah, beat them once. They only have to beat them once. That's right. You're, you're probably right. I just sort of keep waiting for Breeze to fall off a little bit here, too. And, yeah. and I don't know, maybe he won't. It's time for Ask the GM. Our Ask the GM question this week will wrap it up. Senior Bowl rosters have come out. Coaching staffs were named. How are they picked? Why would you not want to coach this game? Also, will scouting this game be different? Obviously, it's a different year with pandemic. Right. Yeah, I think it's a great question and very timely as well with the rosters coming out and the staffs being picked today. Um, it's always been the the teams with the best record that didn't make the playoffs that had first choice to pick to, to coach these rosters. I think it is a great advantage. Now, if you're if your coaching staff is in flux and you don't feel like you can put together a coaching staff to do it, then obviously it, you have to pass and it goes to the next team. I, I think in this case, um, you want to coach it as much as you can you want to coach it. I would coach it every year if I could get it on paper as a GM because it gives you an inside look at all these players. People don't understand that you get to practice with these guys, but you also get to meet with them. You spend a lot of time meeting with these players. And so you can find out who can learn, who can't, how they learn the best. So you can find out some inside details on on all the roster. And what we did a couple times was, I remember Chuck was the first one to do it, Chuck Knox back in Seattle. One year we coached it, and uh, I forget who, it might have been the Rams coached the other team at that time. We were in the AFC, they were in the NFC. But then we met with their, their staff at the end of the week and just exchanged notes and talked about the players and really their learning capabilities and things that we found out and learned in the classroom. And I thought the sharing of those ideals was a great tool. I'm assuming a lot of teams do that now as well. But it's it's as, it's as much as off the field spending time with these guys as what you see on the field. So it is a great tool, great advantage. Um, if your team gets selected and if I'm the GM, we're going for sure because it puts our scouts in a different position to view things not only on the field but in, in uh, classrooms as well. So it's a good thing for your organization in my opinion. Can you think of a guy you drafted because of it? 
Well, I know that San Diego said for years, or, or the Chargers did, they coached the one year that they drafted Phillip. Oh, and they really? had Philip in all the meetings and everything and fell in love with him as a staff. They all loved him. And every one of them goes back and talks about how we had him in the Senior Bowl. And so we didn't have to depend on anybody else's really character's uh, assessment or information from college coaches because we saw it firsthand for a whole week. So that's one that I know that Philip was uh, already a good player, obviously, but he got picked by the Chargers, really, they say, because they had him in the Senior Bowl. So he wasn't talking smack to them the way he did to Cutler in those years. He must have been a little more respectful. Um, yeah, he was a college kid then, you know. <laughs> he was a college kid then. Hey, Randy, another great uh, episode here. We'll be back next week. Everybody, thanks for coming along. You can find Randy Mueller, former exec of the year, on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. You can also read MuellerFootball.com. Really good notes and nuggets on there. I'm Mike Sando at Sando NFL on Twitter. Thanks for coming along, and we will talk to you next week.